You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, WHTT.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to have a uh, follow-up, actually, to our podcast last week. That was entitled, What If American Christians Were Truly Followers of Christ? And that is really a good introduction. And if, if you haven't listened to that, it's only 16 minutes. But it's a it's a great analysis by Craig Hansen, and so one of the things that uh, we're going to do today is actually uh, discuss one of his points that was made in the presentation last week, and that is Christians as followers of the Prince of Peace should be advocates of peace and not of war. And we've seen this for years since we started We Hold These Truths We've seen the war willingness of evangelical Christians particularly, and it really came to very much prominence before the Gulf War in 2003 when we attacked Iraq for the second time. And so I want to kind of talk about that and some other incidences and that should throw a question mark to any Christian listening to this as followers of Christ, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, and we're directed to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to even love our enemies. And the very first action that we hold these truths did, our vigil was at the First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale, Arizona, and that was in November of 2002 some five months actually before the second Gulf War against Iraq started in March of 2003. And the reason we went and conducted this vigil is because of what is known as the land letter. And the man that wrote this letter was Richard Land. He was the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination with some 16 million members in the United States. And that letter was written to President George W. Bush. And the purpose of the letter was to assure President Bush that going to war against Iraq and Saddam Hussein would be a just war by their interpretation of the Bible. And we at We Hold These Truths knew that this would not be any just war, and time has proven that it certainly was not. This letter was signed by a number of prominent evangelical leaders, like Chuck Colson of the Prison Fellowship, Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, D. James Kennedy of Coral Ridge Ministries, and a number of other prominent uh, evangelicals. And we asked the question, 
how in the name of Jesus Christ that we follow could we advocate going to war and somehow justifying it with the Bible. And so that's really been a mystery to a lot of us and to, I believe, true followers of Christ that we need to be peacemakers. And what our government does is certainly another thing. We need to be praying and calling for peace in the body of Christ. Very true, Tom. And we also need to keep in mind that in the process, age-old process of taking populations into war, whether it's our own government doing it or whether it's some prior government, uh, there's always a propaganda effort to vilify and create a vilified enemy that is an acceptable enemy to the population, so there won't be too much resistance. Yes. And, of course, what we've seen in the last uh, 20-some years is that enemy has been Islam. The efforts to create an enemy out of Islam have been continuous, they've been practiced, they've been planned, and they've been politically brilliant. And it's still going on today. We don't want to sound as though we're bashing our current president because we're going to be talking about his part in vilifying Islam, continued vilification of Islam, and not focusing on Iran. But uh, we have to realize that this is a propaganda war first and foremost, and uh, we're not against any particular politician per se. We're against the war that that these politicians are selling to us. And we can speak out and and name their names because we can hear what they say in the news media every day. Craig, I'm sure you have something to add to that. Well, the focus that we brought last week was what would it be like if American Christians were really followers of Christ? And so I'd like to put it in the perspective of Jesus as the king, and we are members of that kingdom. And in in John 18, the passage is familiar, especially the ending, it goes like this. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say this to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So that's kind of the framework in which we need to look at this whole thing as Christians. And if we're following the Prince of Peace, what part do we have with war? Because Jesus wouldn't be a part of this, so why should we be a part of this? And when I see, like you're talking about uh, Chuck with the land letter and the Christians uh, saber-rattling and saying, oh, yes, this is a just war and so forth and so on, I'm reminded of Isaiah, when Isaiah is talking of the new covenant, that part being is in the latter days you will beat your swords into plowshares. If you're following the Prince of Peace, you are beating your sword into plowshares. There's no, there's no place for you know, taking up arms just 
to take up arms. In fact, even Augustine, good old St. Augustine back in the 4th century, in his case, he was talking about using force to convert to Catholicism. So this whole idea of peacekeeping Christians, that's gone off the rails from way, way back when, and we're just seeing the modern extension of that. Well, that's so true, Craig, and we've, of course, been conditioned here in the United States with patriotism, the greatness, the freedoms that we do have here in America, and somehow we uh, get wrapped up in all this patriotism. And Chuck, as as you said, we, we need credible enemies, and propaganda has done excellent job to demonize uh, Muslims, uh, the country of Iran, of course, we went through this with Iraq. They claim there are weapons of mass destruction and, and connections to al-Qaeda that Saddam Hussein did not have. But there were no weapons of mass destruction, as was later admitted. But it doesn't seem to change people's minds. That's the, that's the amazing thing, that we've been so conditioned to accept America and its greatness and when we go to these wars and kill innocent people, we can smooth it over by saying there's collateral damage and so forth, and that makes it all seem to be better with everybody. But people are not focusing on Christ, and I think you really hit the nail on the head with Jesus saying that his kingdom is not of this world. Certainly we have to occupy, we're living in a material world, and we have to be here and, and be beacons of light to other people, but uh, going along with these uh, wars. And again, we're not pacifists here, ladies and gentlemen. We would not object if somebody was going to attack the U.S. to defend ourselves. But we've had no such case like that since World War II, the attack on Pearl Harbor, for example. But we in America have been so conditioned that we keep our eyes on the TV rather than on Jesus, I think, and what our leaders are telling us. Another kind of incident, this took place in 2010 from another evangelical. I know this for a fact because I was in the the man's uh, Sunday school class for about a year and a half. His name is Dr. Wayne Grudem. He's an evangelical uh, professor at a seminary here uh, in Arizona. And he wrote a book, Politics According to the, the Bible, and uh, which was endorsed by uh, Chuck Colson, by the way. But in his Bible study lesson on national defense, he proceeded to uh, explain that the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were just wars by his interpretation of the Bible. And, of course, this was seven years after we started the war and it come out that there there were no weapons of mass destruction, it was a, a war that we wanted to um, wage against Saddam Hussein. And so uh, we see this, even today, the most recent incident, most flagrant, happened in July. One of President Trump's spiritual advisors, a man by the name of Pastor Robert Jeffress of the First Southern Baptist Church of Dallas, and we understand one of the largest uh, Southern Baptist churches in the country, came out after uh, President Trump said that we needed to um, get rid of the uh, 
leader of North Korea. Well, this Pastor Jeffress reinforced that by saying, yes, we should kill that leader, and he justified it using the book of Romans chapter 13. And so I guess that means that you can basically justify anything with the Bible uh, when you twist it like that. Tom, we're talking here about a really broad subject, so I think we should share with our readers how we really view the, this process of uh, the hows and whys of the wars that we're in. Uh, first of all, we are really not in threatening war against Korea because uh, people in Washington hate uh, that man with a funny haircut in Korea. We're not threatening war against Russia because Vladimir Putin is the world's worst human, and the people in Washington really hate Vladimir Putin. We're not even facing possible war in Iran because Americans uh, hate Iranians. Instead, what we really had is a long-standing conditioning process to train certain segments of the American economy and American society to fear and hate Muslims. And that's why uh, our last five wars have all been against Muslims, right down to Libya. Uh, none of these are powerful countries. All of these are weak. Uh, none of them had any chance against us. And they didn't all gang up against us at once and try to fight back even. One by one, we vilified, and then on account of being Muslim, we vilified these countries. And this is where Craig's commentary is so important, because he explains so clearly how Christians are used to form a war base for politicians uh, based upon being convinced that they should have a spiritual hatred for another religion. In this case, Christians should hate Muslims. And by building this basis of hatred, political leaders gather support for themselves and based upon this are able to pull off each of these wars very cleverly one by one. Uh, the best hint that you can have that our next war will not be in Korea or in Russia is that these are not Muslim countries. And the same logic that allows this segment of Christianity that Tom, that Tom has talked about, the, the group that are sometimes called Christian Zionists, we've come to call them neo-Christians because it's, it is neo, it's new, it's a new form of, quote, Christianity. But the reason that we're probably not going to go to war against and bomb, bomb and, and, and assassinate the president of Korea is because the American public would probably fairly quickly turn against that kind of a war. We've done it before, of course, uh, 40 years ago, and there isn't an ideological or religious excuse for killing either Vladimir Putin or for killing Kim in North Korea. But if you turn to Iran, you then can employ the same kind of arguments that were that moved people to support the idea that was mouthed uh, by many Christian leaders that destroying Iraq was the same as killing Saddam Hussein, the terrible, hateful Muslim Saddam Hussein. In support of these notions that we've been explaining to you, I'd like to uh, read a brief passage from a letter written to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, White House Press Secretary, and others in the White House, and it's, and it's addressed, however, to dear President Trump. 
The author of this is the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection at Georgetown University Law Center. In other words, this is the leading Catholic law center in the country, I would suppose. And here's what they wrote to President Trump through his press secretary. On the night you were elected president, you promised to bind the wounds of division by devoting yourself to serving all Americans, regardless of their race, religion, background, or beliefs. We are encouraged to hear these assurances. The U.S. government, including the president, the domain of permissible civil discourse is not unlimited. The state cannot use its megaphone to express wanton hostility toward the very people who must be represented on an equal footing. That is why her three recent anti-Muslim tweets are so troubling. On November 29, 2017, you retweeted three unverified videos uploaded by the leaders of the far-right European extremist group. To your immediate audience of 44 million Twitter followers, which grew rapidly into a much wider global audience. You broadcasted the following caption, Muslim migrants beats up on Dutch boy on crutches. Quote, Muslims destroy a statue of the Virgin Mary, end quote. And quote, Islamist mob pushes teenage boy off a roof and beats him to death, end quote. All three tweets explicitly drew a connection between the underlying act and a religious identity of those who engaged in them. Your decision to retweet these messages carries a dark and unmistakable message. Muslims are to be feared. Islamic practices pose a danger to society. Muslims can never be truly equal citizens under the law. Your promise to, quote, be president of, for all Americans, end quote, is no mere rhetoric aspiration. It also has an important constitutional dimension. Whatever else your administration might seek to accomplish, it must not vilify members of a religious community on account of their theology or conviction. Our constitutional tradition affords all Americans a right to pray as their conscience compel them without being besmirched or belittled by their government. The full text of this will be posted on our website, ladies and gentlemen. Again, from the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection at Georgetown University Law Center. I just try to imagine what it would be like if the Christians would say, you know, enough of this violence, and I am not going to fund this war machine. I'm not going to support anybody who votes for giving more support to Israel, $10 million a day. I won't, I won't do that. I'll, I'll, I'll campaign against them. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Chuck and Craig, for your input. We are urging people to look at what the Bible teaches. I think that's the main takeaway here is that we, as followers of Christ, need to weigh what our spiritual leaders say against what is taught in the Bible. And it's up to us to actually act like Christians, and we're reminded by Jesus to not only love our neighbors, but to even love our enemies, which is a hard task to do. And remember, folks, give peace a chance. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. 
and be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.